0: Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We are in Revelation chapter 5, and as I told you, we're starting tonight uh, a new series of studies. I'm calling it Tools, and you know, it kind of leaves, leaves the question of uh, what kind of tools are we talking about? And it really isn't. So much the tools that God has given us, that is the theme, but rather what are the tools that are in his toolbox, so to speak, or what housing is there, what is there on the walls of his tool shop that he wants to use in our lives, that he uses in our lives in order to shape uh, and and to make us. And so I believe that God is going to use this study over the next uh, five weeks, tonight being the first and then through the month of August to speak to us, to answer questions. Uh, what's he doing? Why is he doing? What are the things that he does uh, in our lives? Um, when I first became a Christian, um, I, it was kind of a funny thing. I was 19 years old, and I didn't know which way was up or down in life, and, and it was really a confusing time. And I went to Um, The pastor of the church that I was going to at the time, and I I asked him um, what direction I should go, you know, or what kinds of things should I be thinking about. And I should I go to Bible college? I don't really like Christians, but I know I'm not going back to the world. So I'm not sure if that's the right fit. I'm kind of confused on that. And and, and he gave me some of the most valuable advice, uh, though it didn't make sense at the time. He said, um, one of the things that I would pray about, as he said, is to learn a trade. And he said, the reason why you want to learn a trade is because a trade is is timeless and, and it never goes away. As long as there is an earth, there's going to be a need for a trade. And if you have a trade, you can go anywhere in the world and feed your family. So if God calls you into the ministry, you'll have a way that you can always supply. Now, at the time that he said that. Something in me bore witness and said, that's a really good idea. The problem was, is that I didn't know the difference between a callus and cancer. My hands were so soft, I I didn't even know if I knew how to read a tape measure at the time. But I took his advice. I went out and applied wherever I could, and I was called very quickly into a carpentry apprenticeship. And it turned out to be the biggest blessing of my life. And what I realized is that God has actually gifted and talented me to be able to work with my hands. Now, one of the side effects of being a young, zealous Christian and also a tradesman is that everyone who saw the stickers that were coating my toolbox and my hard hat with Jesus stickers said, why do you want to be a carpenter? Are you trying to be like Jesus, you know? <laughs> And it kind of became the thing. Well, there's Jesus, the carpenter, you know, and I would come on a job and, and this whole thing. And, and it was, you know, they were joking around with me and it was kind of funny, but I didn't like the stigma that was attached to it. But it's interesting that when we think about jesus and we think about those silent years of his upbringing before his public ministry began the traditional view is that jesus trade was that he was a carpenter now the bible doesn't say specifically that he was a carpenter but in those days it was customary that you would follow in the footsteps of your parents of your father specifically and so we do know that joseph was a carpenter and jesus was linked to joseph as the carpenter and so most likely and the tradition holds is that jesus prior to his ministry learned the trade of being a carpenter now we don't know it for a fact but i believe that god allowed that story to go on intentionally because i believe that in many ways Jesus really is still yet a carpenter, not necessarily the kind that builds tables and chairs, but really the kind that builds lives. I mean, what really is a carpenter? A carpenter is someone who takes raw materials or empty space and turns it into something that's beautiful or useful or helpful. That's what a carpenter does. And and in a sense, that's what Jesus does. Only he does it with our lives. And this is the work of God. We see it in the scripture in first Corinthians chapter three, verse nine, the Bible actually says that we are God's building, that he is doing something that is building us up. He's changing us. There's a work that's going on within our lives. In first Peter chapter two, the Bible says that we are living stones That God is constructing, shaping, and fitting together as that house, that place that he's building up to live inside of. It says again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are the temple of the living God, that he is actually framing us and constructing us to be a fitting habitation where he himself can live. And then Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he talks about how in God's house, there are different types of vessels, or you could say articles of furniture, that there's some that are for honor and some that are for dishonor, that God is shaping us, as it were, as fixtures in his house. Now, don't think for a minute that you're going to spend eternity as a lamp on God's shelf. You know, have you ever looked at a tree and thought, how boring would that be? You know to be a tree or how torturous would that be in certain seasons of the year to be a tree to be you know and, and and you can almost think well is that all i am god's shaping me to be a statue in his garden you know living no 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 he's shaping us he's making us he's building us into something and the bible uses that illustration over and over again what god does is that he takes a life that is lost or barren and he turns it into something that's intentionally fruitful and beautiful that's what jesus does in a life and thus the illustration of a carpenter is very fitting now just like a carpenter in the world has tools things that they use so also jesus In the spiritual realm, as he's building our lives up, he has tools that he uses in our lives, things that he employs in order to bring forth the product that he has intended to bring forward. And so I've asked you to turn to Revelation chapter 4. Well, it's actually chapter 5, but I'm going to start in chapter 4 verse 9 and i'm going to read through and and i'm going to share with you a truth a declaration that is made concerning jesus that answers the great question that we need to ask and answer at the beginning of looking at this subject and wanting to apply it to our lives and so if you would just look with me at revelation chapter 4 beginning in verse 9 it says this it says that when those beasts now just to set up context the beasts are creatures that the author, who is John the Apostle, sees in heaven that are worshiping Jesus. He says that when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. So now we have twenty-four people, humans we don't know their names we don't know what they are we just know that they are in the highest office of heaven's court they are the 24 seats that surround the throne of god and when the creatures give glory the elders bow before him and they cast their crowns before the throne saying and here's what you need to hear verse 11 thou art worthy O lord to receive glory and honor and power For you have created all things, and for your pleasure, for your will, it says in some translations, they are and were created. It's made for him. All of it is made for him. Now, the first declaration of his worth is made by those in the inner court, the 24 elders. Then, chapter 5, verse 1. John goes on, and he says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne. So Jesus, who sits on the throne, is holding something he sees a book or a scroll written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy, there's that word again, to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And so here we see the one on the throne who's holding this scroll that's written on the inside and on the out and that is sealed with seven seals. Now, if you want to know what's in the scroll, the best way to at least guess is to compare scripture with scripture. And the only other place in the Bible that we see a scroll like this that's written on both sides, that's sealed, is in Ezekiel chapter 2, where Ezekiel sees a scene very similar to this. And in Ezekiel, it tells us what's written on the scroll it says that it's filled with woe and condemnations and judgments now that's fitting with what's about to happen with the scroll because when the scroll is opened condemnations woe and judgment are going to be released upon the earth now at first that sounds bad Because you think, well, that's heavy, and we've read the book of Revelation. That's why we don't read the book of Revelation, because we know what it says about these seals and the judgments and the woe that's coming. It sounds bad, but it's actually not bad. And the reason it's not bad is because every one of us in here, no matter where you are in life, whether you're a believer in God or not, you know that this world is broken and that things need to be set right. And for things to be set right, something has to Be rectified. And the judgment of God is the time when all of that is sorted out and things are going to be set right. And so John sees this. He hears the question Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the scrolls? And then watch what happens in verse 3 and it says that no man in heaven or in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book or to look thereon. There was not one human being that was worthy, and that's an important word who was worthy to open the scroll. Now, the reason why someone has to be worthy to open the scroll is because in order to rightfully mete out judgment, you have to be on the innocent side of the equation. And so what John is saying is that there was nobody that was innocent enough or holy enough, or morally clean enough to be able to take the scroll and to dish out the judgment that was necessary for sin. Because in order to do that, you would have to be perfect. And so John weeps because no one was found worthy to open uh, and to read the book or to look on it. And so verse five, it says, and one of the elders said unto me, weep not, and here's why, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And so I looked and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Isn't that interesting? He says, a lion. And then he looks and he sees a lamb. It's going to be important later on. As it had Then slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, that's one crazy lamb, right? You ever seen a lamb like that? You see a lamb like that, run (laughs) toward it, because it's Jesus, right? There's probably only one of these in the world, you know. He says, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders... "...fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which or incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, and here it is again, you are worthy. Everybody say, you are worthy. You are worthy. He is worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation, and have made, a, made us priests unto our God." kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels so this is a new group now not just the creatures not just the 24 elders but now a group of angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb there it is again that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So, so far we've had the creatures. We've had the elders, the inner circle. We've had the angels, which we could call, maybe irreverently, but maybe accurately, the Oompa Loompas, the ones that do God's bidding, the servants that serve His will and do what He wants. So the inner circle, now the outer circle. Now watch this, verse 13, and it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said amen and the four and twenty elders fell down and they worshiped him that lives forever and ever. So every creature. In heaven, on earth, in the sea, that can be found in all of existence, join the declaration with the peers, the elders, and the angels that he is worthy. That he is worthy of his claims, of his person, and then of the office of the his ability to take something that is chaotic and broken and dark, and to turn it into something that is set in order and that is right and that is eternal and lasting—that He is worthy. Would you pray with me as we finish the passage? Father, we we thank you for this truth, and we pray in Jesus' name that you would now anoint. Father, the application of it as we look at it in the context of what you do in our lives and the call that's been given to us on this side of seeing the conclusion of all of this to declare your worth and to put our full trust in you to be the carpenter and shaper of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask by a show of hands tonight, how many of you have ever hired a carpenter or a contractor to do work in your home if you have a home here i see a lot of hands going up it's kind of one of those things that uh it's like jury duty eventually it's going to be your turn and you're going to have to do it you know um now put your hand back up if doing so turned out to be a nightmare It was a bad, it was a bad thing. I see almost as many hands going up on the other side uh, of that. Uh, (laughs) You know, it turns out to be that way. Now, because I am a carpenter and and have experienced uh, this realm in this world, I have often um, been the guy that's either been called in to look at a job that needs to be done or the guy that's called in to fix a job that someone else left undone. Or that just screwed it up, uh, and now it needs attention. And I have been that guy before. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a strange place, and it's kind of an awkward place because what happens is that there's this, there's this kind of invisible exchange that's going on between the customer and the carpenter. And and, and what's really essentially going on is that the, the 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 homeowner or the person who needs the work done is trying to find out four things, but they can't rely on face value. So the first thing that they're trying to find out in this is what are your claims? What do you claim that you can do? What are you saying that you're competent of concerning the work that I need done in my house or in my place, wherever it might be? Uh, Are you able to do it? They wanna know if you're competent, that's number one. The second thing that they wanna know is they wanna know if you are qualified. In other words, is this person a hack That simply, you know, says that they can do work, but they don't really do a nice job. Or do they pay attention to detail? Do they know the processes and how things work? And they want to know that if they hire you to do the job, that you can actually do a quality job. So not just what are your claims of what you can do, but what kind of quality is behind those claims? That's what they also want to know. The third thing, and this is a huge one is that they're trying to find out if this carpenter is actually going to finish the job that he begins. And how many of you have a problem with that ever? They came, they started, you paid them half the money, but then they never showed up again and the job is still undone several years later. It's something that I hear of a lot, and I I know that many of you have experienced, is this person actually going to finish the job that they've begun? And then finally, the last thing is how much is it going to cost, and is what I'm going to get worth the price that I'm going to pay? And so there's this exchange happening to try to get the answer to these four questions. And the funny thing is, is that both the customer and the carpenter know that that's what's going on. And so the customer is trying to find out the answer to those questions, knowing that they have to do it without asking outrightly. Because if they just ask, of course they're going to get the answer that they want. Because the contractor, or carpenter knows what the answer is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, I could do the work. Oh yeah, I built the Eiffel Tower and this bridge, and you know, and they go on and oh, I've built four thousand houses and I've worked on mansions and I work, I work, I work. you know, and, and and there's the claims, but is it real? Can it actually take place in this whole thing? And so there's a lot of unknowns when you're making a decision about whether or not you're going to trust a carpenter to do work for you. And so you're trying to assess. And so maybe you'll look at the website and see if there's a portfolio of their work, things that you can look at. You're looking for details. You're looking for the scope. You're looking for the size. You're looking for, you know, you want to see if they can do the work. You might consult Angie's List or Home Advisor, something that will give you some indication of their reputation with those that they've done work with before. You might look for a reference or talk to someone you know that has used this person before because you're trying to get a a feel for them. And you'll do all of those things. You'll maybe even have conversations. You try to get into their personal life and see if you can discover what their values are, their personality, what kind of person. You want to get a feel for those kind of things. But here's the kicker is that at some point, it's going to come down to trust. You're going to have to put some level of trust in the person that you want to perform the work because really you don't know what you're going to get until the whole thing is over. You've got to make a decision. And so tonight, in the remaining time, I want to talk to you about this element or this concept of not trusting any old carpenter, But trusting Jesus, the carpenter from Galilee, who says that he can do a work in your life and build you into something that you can't do yourself. And so the message tonight, and the title is about to go up there right now, is do you trust the carpenter? Do you trust the carpenter? Now, here's the reality, is that your life and my life is nothing more than empty space and raw materials. When we come into the world, that's what we are. We are Nothing but a a canvas of time and a platform of opportunities We get however much time we get starting on the day that we're born and it extends until the day that we die That's the time frame within which everything that happens in our life will happen the time of our life The platform of our opportunities is the culture that we're born into the location where we are in the world the region where we are, the, the the generation that we're in and what the world is like, that's kind of the, the, the platform of opportunities that, that, that we have in our life. We also have a personality, something that's been given to us by God uniquely that makes us distinct from everyone else. It's a combination of our talents, our interests, our relationships, our education, our mentors, And Interactions with people all of those things shape the personality that develops and grows inside of us And all of those things represent open space and opportunities. That's what we are It's just raw materials that make up our life now Here's what we do we come of age where we begin to realize that we have these things and we begin to try to build our own lives We stack one thing upon another, we get the best advice that we can, we make decisions according to our desires or the counsel we receive, and we begin to build and we start to do things in our life. But the problem with that is that our vision is greatly impaired. Because we can't see all things clearly. We can't really understand the deep things of our personality and how it fits in our culture and what things are going to look like in the future and how the decisions I make today are going to play out in the future. We can't see very far off. And so our vision is impaired and it's a challenge when we try to build our lives. Our knowledge is incomplete. One of the, actually many, many things that I had to learn just as a a regular carpenter that, that you would never know without experience or education, if somebody told you. A few years ago, um, we had a men's workday here, and we built picnic tables outside of the solid ground. We built five of them with donated wood. So we got the wood for free. The wood happened to be oak. Now, if any of you know anything about wood, you can't use oak for an outdoor application because oak wood doesn't stand up to weather very well. And so if you go outside right now and you look at those five very well-constructed picnic tables, you will notice that they look like a 40-year-old horse. You ever seen a 40-year-old horse? You don't have to jump very high to get on it. You know Why? Because oak doesn't stand up to weather. But here's the problem. You don't know that when you first build because it takes time for those elements to take their toll and you see the problem a little bit down the road. Another thing that I had to learn, there was uh, one time early on in my uh, apprentice, I wasn't an apprentice anymore, I just didn't know as much as I thought I knew, and I put in a beautiful cedar ceiling in an enclosed porch outside, it was kind of a three-season room with screen, screen openings, and I put this beautiful cedar ceiling in, and I used galvanized nails to nail it in, and I didn't know at the time that you can't use galvanized steel on cedar because it reacts with the tannins in the wood. And over time, it causes it to bleed. And everywhere where there's a nail, it turns jet black and it starts to run. And so this very expensive, very well put together cedar ceiling was worth junk after just a couple of years because I didn't know that you have to use stainless steel fasteners with cedar wood. It was just something I didn't know. And the consequences showed up later. And so now we apply that to how we build our lives. There's just things that we don't know. And so we try to build a marital relationship, but we build it on things like sex or money or maybe even just a common interest. And we think that that's going to be strong enough to hold up a lifelong commitment in marriage. But what we find often years into the relationship is that those things can't sustain a relationship. But we didn't know that going in. We were just going off of the best of our knowledge. We want to do things for our health. And so we find, hey, there's an easy way. We can take steroids and then we don't have to work as hard in the gym. Or we can starve ourselves and we don't have to suffer through a lot of kale salads and changing our eating habits, we'll just binge, and then fast, and we'll just get it done that way. But what you learn over time is that steroids and starvation are not the means of building a healthy body, but it doesn't show up in the moment, it shows up down the road after the damage has been done. And so we try to build our lives the best way we know how, and the outcome of it often doesn't show up, the flaws, until later on we make a mess of things. Now, some people seem to do all right. They take what they've been given. They seem to have a knack for making things work. And their lives just seem to flow. Things just seem to go well. But here's what I can tell you. Is that every human being alive, whether they look successful or whether they have become a mess, a train wreck, every human being has the sense inside, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know if I'm where I'm supposed to be, if I'm what I'm supposed to be, what's going on. I don't get it. I know for me personally, I had become such a train wreck by the age of 19, I knew I needed help. And I heard at that time about a carpenter from Galilee who lived, died, and rose almost 2,000 years ago, that if I would put my trust in him as the author and finisher of my life, that he would know how to take what I am in its totality and turn it into something that I could never figure out how or what it is that he was doing. And I was just enough of a train wreck that I believe that this is the hope that I have to see my life made right, to see my future turn into something that I could never make for myself and so I came to Jesus and when I came to Jesus what I found is that he's a carpenter who makes claims what are the claims that Jesus makes he came to my house I said okay Lord what do you do in a life and I consult his promise his word and these are the claims that Jesus makes his claim is that he has a plan and that he knows what he's doing when he purchases a life. It says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, we're his workmanship and that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. That means he has a plan. He already knows what he's going to do. Jesus said to Peter the first time he saw him, you are shifting sand, but you shall be stable stone. He had a plan he knew what he could do in a life that was given to him another claim that jesus makes is that he can restore the soul psalm chapter 23 verse 3 it says that he restores my soul that's an amazing amazing claim for someone to be able to make because the soul is invisible the things of the mind and of the emotions that get tarnished and contaminated and that break down And for him to be able to rehabilitate things that I've damaged deep inside of myself, for him to be able to restore things that I can't even see or touch, that's an amazing claim. He claims that he can renew the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, how is that? I can't transform myself. I can reform. I can change behaviors but i can't transform the way i think my mind but he can he claims to be able to transform my mind he says not only that but he can change my heart the heart represents the deepest expression of who i am and the way i am ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26 he says that he can take out a heart of stone that means it's already calloused, it's already wounded, it's already broken. He can take out the broken heart and that he can put in a brand new heart that's soft and pliable and living again, a heart of flesh. He can change the very core and element of who I am. Another claim he makes is that he can take the ruins of my life and he can turn them into something beautiful. It's Isaiah chapter 61 verses 3 and 4. He says there, the prophet Isaiah, he says that he's going to appoint to them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Next verse. And they shall build the old wastes and they shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities. The desolations, listen, of many generations. That means that God can take the mistakes that have been made, that have affected who you are, whether they be the mistakes that you have made or mistakes that have made you the victim of something else or someone else's actions. And God can take the ashes of what those things have caused and produced in your life, and he can turn them into beautiful things, trees that can again be constructed and worked with and built, even things that generations of waste have built up and accumulated. He's able to take those things. He makes another claim in Jeremiah chapter 32. His claim is that nothing is too hard for him. He says, I'm the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? And then he declares a little bit later on. He says, there is nothing that's too hard for me. Meaning it doesn't matter how messed up or how broken or seemingly void your heart or mind or soul is. Nothing is too hard for him to finish what he begins. Another amazing claim. And this can almost come off as arrogant. If you think of it in the context of a carpenter trying to sell you on his work. It's John chapter 15, verse 5, and listen to what Jesus says. He says, without me, it's the end of the verse, you can do nothing. Now, can you imagine a carpenter saying that to you as he comes into your home? You know what? If you don't hire me, this room's never going to be anything. You you almost would say, thank you for coming. Have a nice day right there. But Jesus, not only is he saying that he can do all these things in your life, but what he's also saying to you, Is that if you don't use me, you ain't got no chance. Because there's no one else that can do the things that I can do. And without me, it won't be done. Not only all those other things that are inward, but he also makes promise concerning our bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Listen to the verse. It says that he will change our vile body. How many people in here look in the mirror and you feel like that? This vile body. He says, they'll change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now, I wonder if Jesus shows up and, you know, he lets the biceps kind of, you know, I really think Jesus looked a lot more like Dwayne the Rock than he did Michael Phelps. You know what I'm saying? Because otherwise, is, is he making this claim? Like, you know, you come into my house, you look like Michael Phelps or something, you know, you're just scrawny and whatever. And you're like, you could look like this for three easy payments. of no. <laughs> But he says that he will change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, ultimately, he's talking about the upgrade that we await when we see him in glory. But even the physical, he says that he can move. Now, all of these things are claims. These are claims that Jesus makes of things that he can do in our lives. But claims are not equal to outcomes. Claims are weightless claims are words outcomes have value outcomes have substance so what does it look like when someone lets jesus have access to their inside and their outside and they let him begin to then build their life what does it look like not only do his claims mean something but is there quality can he do it can he actually perform is there a website Is there a Christ advisor? Is there something I can do and look at and see what he does in a life? And the answer is absolutely yes, there is. Because the pages of Scripture, from Abraham and Sarah, to Deborah and David, to Peter and Paul, the Bible is filled with testimonials and pictures of what God does when he comes into a life. It shows us where they are when when he finds it. And then it shows us where they are when he leaves it. And what we see over and over and over again is that anyone who will put their trust in him, though they don't understand the process, what we can see is that the outcome is always good. The outcome is always according to what he says. The Bible testifies. Now, understand that these testimonies are not trophies. They're examples. It isn't that, oh, David got to, oh, Solomon was. Good for them. No, they're written, it says, for our admonition that we might understand what God wants to do in our lives as well. We look at what he's done. He has a track record of it. The third question that we would ask Jesus and we evaluate if we're going to trust him to do a work in our lives as we ask the question is, Lord, will you finish what you've begun? Or are you going to leave the project half done And abandon the work in the middle and leave me with a pile of ruins that I don't understand and that makes no sense to me. And the answer to the question is a resounding yes. He always finishes what he begins. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says emphatically that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's an emphatic yes. I love one of the things that Jesus said. I, I reread it just in my one-year Bible reading this week. It was Luke chapter 9. I think it's verse 62, where Jesus says that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back, they, they, they start a work and then they quit. It says that they are not fit for the kingdom of God. And for many years, I read that verse almost in, in a thing like, oh, man, I don't know if I, I'm going to make the cut. The reality is none of us are going to make the cut. I don't think Jesus was saying that you need to persevere if you want to make the cut. I think what Jesus is saying is that in the kingdom of heaven, we are finishers. In the kingdom of heaven, when we start something, we finish it. And so if you're, you're one that starts and doesn't finish, it just simply means that you're not equal to the way that we do things in this kingdom. The point being, when God starts something in a life, he finishes what he begins. He does not leave things undone. I love what God spoke to Samuel concerning the house of Eli. He said that when I begin, I will also bring it to an end. And anything that God begins in a life, he brings it to an end. He finishes the work that he starts. You say, well, what's the outcome going to look like? What's the finished product going to be if I give my life in complete trust to him for him to build me however it is that he desires? You know what the answer is? I have no idea. What God's gonna do in your life, but here's what I do know I know this and I want you to follow me here on this chain of thought because this is true of every being true of God It's true of us It's that a person a personality a being Has values All of us do we have things that we value things in our life that are important to us and that's different for all of us Sometimes our values are good and sometimes our values are not good But we all value something. Now, our values, what we value, drives our actions. We act according to what we value. If a person values possessions, then their actions are always towards gaining, obtaining, or preserving. If a person values pleasure, then that person's actions are always in some way trying to experience something that's going to bring them pleasure. If a person values power, that person is going to be doing things, acting in a way that secures or demands or increases power and authority in their life. Values determine actions. So a person has values. Values produce actions. And listen, actions become outcomes. What we do determines what we get. That is always true. There are always consequences to the things that we do. So now if we apply that to God, we say, well, what's going to be the outcome in my life if I trust him to be the carpenter and the shaper and the builder? Well, his values are going to drive his actions, which are going to determine the outcome. Jesus said a profound thing. He said that wisdom is justified by her children. And what he meant by that was simply that the type of wisdom that a person lives by is going to be either proved good or proved bad based on what comes out of their life. The wisdom that I live by will be justified by what comes out of my life. So here's the point why I bring this up. What are the values that God has? What are his values? Well, we read in the Bible That one of his values is intentional grace. John chapter 3, verse 17. It says that the Son of Man was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's a value that Jesus has, is that he gives intentional grace. Another is that he's radically selfless. In John's Gospel, chapter 6, 38 through 40, Jesus emphatically declares that he didn't come into the world to do his own will, but to serve the Father, And to be servants for us. We also see another value of his is that he's extravagant in his sacrifice. John chapter 10 verses 10 and 11. Jesus said that I came to lay down my life. That you might have life more abundantly. That's why he came. He's sacrificial and he's tireless in his service. Matthew chapter 20 verse 28. It tells us there. It says that the son of man came not to be served ministered unto but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many he's tireless in his service he's always relentlessly looking out for others and all of these things these values that define who god is ultimately led him to the greatest action of his life which was the cross of calvary and when Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary, he sealed with his blood the proof that his values are what he said they are. And here's what that boils down to for you and I. Is that if you let God build your life, then who he is is going to determine what you become. Because values determine actions which equal outcomes. Who he is is. Will determine what you become And so the final question it leaves us with Is what's the price tag? What does it cost? If i'm going to allow him to take my life in its totality and to turn it into what only he can what only he knows Then what is it going to cost me to do it? And the answer is in two words the cross See the cross is the place where Jesus laid down his life for us out of love and trust to the Father. That's what the cross represents. And what Jesus says to us, Mark chapter 8, verse 34, is he says this, he says that he called the people unto him and his disciples also, and he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, whosoever will follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me what does that mean it means that as jesus believed that he would be able to do in your life what only he could do to the point that he went to the cross and laid down his will and his life in order to purchase you with his own blood he now calls us to do the same thing and to come to him in loving trust and to lay down our life and give him authority over our lives to do what he wants with our lives and so here's what that means it means that if you want jesus to build your life you're not hiring him he's buying you do you understand you're not saying okay lord i i am willing to agree to these terms and i trust you to come into my life and be a guest in my house and do what you want to do no 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 don't work like that jesus says no i don't i'm sorry i don't do that if you want me to do what only I can do, what I'm willing to do, what I know I can do in your life, the terms are that you sign the deed over to me in love and trust, and it's no longer you determining what's going on. It's me running the whole show from the beginning to end. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. You're saying that it's that it's your house now? That you're, in order for you to do this, you're actually going to take ownership of my life? He says, yes, that's exactly what it is. See, I laid down my life that you could have all of me. And the terms for this to work is that you now lay down all of your life and I get all of you. And then you get to see what I do. And so we take a step back and we say, whoa. Can I see the blueprint? And he says, No. And then we say, okay, can I get a description of the scope of work? And he says, no. And then we say, okay, can I get a schedule? And he says, no. It's my blueprint. It's my work. And it's my time. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You say, well, what do I get in this? The answer is, first of all, you get him. Because Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, he said, I stand at the door and I knock. I stand at the door of your life and I knock. He's a door-to-door savior. And he says, if anyone, man is genderless, it's human. If any man open, hear my voice and open the door, he says, I will come in and sup with him and he with me is that when we agree and we let jesus build our lives we get him we get his presence we get his spirit in our lives we get his voice we get his comfort we get his person we get his love overflowing within us we get the experience of walking with him of partnering with him in the project as he leads us and blesses us and grows us and we get to experience every bit of it with him because he's inside of our life we get him we also get his promise Every promise of his word, of what he says that he will do, and that he'll complete it, we get his promise. We also get his portfolio, the showcase of what he's done. And we get, and this is the most amazing thing, is that we get the reviews. See, at the beginning of our study, we read Revelation chapter 5. I know that was a long time ago now, but do you remember? And, And there were three Three or four groups of people in there that made a declaration, right? First it was the, 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 the creatures, then it was the inner circle. And they declared what? That he is? That's right. And then after the inner circle, do you, by the way, do you know if there's corruption in an organization? Who knows about it? The inner circle, right? And the inner circle around Jesus says, yep, he's worthy. Every claim is true. Next, it was the angels. That's the outer circle, the people that serve and run back and forth. If there's a disgruntled body in an organization, who is it? It's the outer circle, right? The ones that are running and the angels, what do they declare that he is? And then finally, and this is the clicker because here it is. Ready? Revelation chapter five, every creature. And here's what I need you to know. I need you to understand this is that revelation chapter five is a future event, It hasn't happened yet. And every creature that is owned by him is there. Do you know who that includes? It includes us. And here's what that means. It means that if you say, Jesus, build my life, anytime you want to, day or night, you can do it right now. You can go and you can see a future version of yourself telling yourself that it's worth it. You can say, self, that's already there, that sees the finished product, that's at the finish line, is it worth it for me to trust Jesus to build my life completely? And they shout back and they say, he's worthy. It's worth it. Trust him. I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know it hurts like nothing you've ever felt before in your life, but understand that it's worth it even though you can't see the finish line, and it's awesome. (laughs) Do you guys hear that? It's a future version of you telling you that you can put your trust in him. There's one more thing that we get in this transaction is that we get to see his tools. What he does allow, though we don't have a blueprint, though we don't have a time frame, though he doesn't explain what he's doing along the way, what we do have is that we have his tools explained to us in scripture. And that's intentional. And the reason for that is so that when he uses those tools in our life, we might recognize it for what it is, and then it might help us trust him in the process, even though it doesn't make sense. Now, we could exhaust this. We could spend probably a year Talking about the different tools of God because it is vast and complicated But we're going to look at four over the next four weeks We're going to look first next week We're going to look at how he uses the tool of our weakness and our infirmities our disabilities In shaping us and moving in our lives Then we're going to look at the tool of unfulfilled desires How he uses the things that we yet desire that we're waiting for that Seem to be withheld or it seems that he's not hearing Then we're going to look at how he uses other people in our lives. Oh, that's fun, isn't it? The tool of other people And then we're going to look at the tool of what we'll call pressure, but really that's just a code word for what? Pain, (laughs) right? You know and we're going to look at how God uses these tools to perfect his work and the purpose and the intent is that we would understand because we will experience these things how God is using them and what he's doing in the process but the question that we close with tonight is this is that is he in your mind right now is he worthy for you to say, yes, Jesus, I'm willing to take up my cross and lay down my life completely for you, and I trust you. And I ask that question, I want to turn it around on you for a minute, and I want to ask you this. Was it worth it for him to take up his cross in order to buy you? Let I me mean, think about that for a minute. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He did it to buy you, because you were worth it to him. And I wonder now, thinking, considering who he is, if on the other side of him doing it first for you, if you would declare and say, yes, you're worthy that I would take up my cross for you as well. Do you trust him? The Bible says in Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, it says that they that know your name will put their trust in you. Those that know his character, that know his values, that know who he is, that have tasted of his presence and that know his work, they will put their trust in him to do it. Do you know what the reality is concerning Jesus and his ministry? The reality is that Jesus, as a carpenter, has been thrown off of more jobs than any other ever has. He's been thrown off of a million jobs. That's probably an understatement. What do I mean? People let Jesus in, they say, okay, I'm willing to trust you. And then he brings a jackhammer in the living room. And they go, whoa, 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 whoa. Wouldn't like a crowbar make more sense, a few garbage bags, a dumb cart? You got a jackhammer. And he goes, oh, yeah. A- and we endure it. We take it. And we say, man, I guess he knows. And then Jesus does something. And usually it isn't the first time that Jesus brings a jackhammer in the living room that he gets tossed off the job. Usually it's the second or the third time. Because what happens is that Jesus will begin to do something in, in a life. He'll begin to build something. He'll begin to make something. And we're, we're pleased with it. We're like, yeah, Lord, this is good. Thank you. Thank you. And then he brings the jackhammer and he wrecks it. And we go, whoa, I liked that. That, that was you. You put that there. You brought that into my life. And then we say, I don't, you know, I don't like the way this is going. You know, I, I prayed for that. I battled for that. And you, there was a breakthrough and now it's gone? Are you, what are you doing? And we get angry. We get off the job. Give it back. I want the keys. I want the contract. I'm taking this back. You're not doing a very good job. You're not faithful. And what's happening oftentimes in circumstances like that is that, yeah, he built something and he put something in your life that was a blessing and was necessary for the season that you were in. But now that season is over and that thing that was a blessing has become a burden and he's removing it because what he's doing is bigger than what was a blessing in the past season. And so it requires trust. It requires faith to say, Lord, even though I don't understand, I'm trusting you that what you're doing is wise and what the outcome will be, that it is good. And I ask you this question, the musicians, you guys can come up. Is that are you willing tonight, whether you're saved already or whether you've never put your trust in Jesus for the first time, are you willing tonight to put your full trust in Jesus? To let him buy your life because he's the only one that can take the raw materials that make up you and turn them into something beautiful. What's amazing is that the very thing that makes him worthy of the work that he's going to do in our lives is the very starting place for you and I to allow him to do it. What what, what do I mean? Did, Did you notice in our passage back in Revelation 5 that he was called a lion, but he was seen as a lamb? Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He can take it. He's worthy. And then John looked and he said, I saw a lamb disconnect there i don't think you can have more polar opposites than a lion and a lamb but do you realize that the reason he could be called the lion is because he first became the lamb jesus as a lamb represents his sacrifice and taking up his cross and the reason he could become the lion that was worthy is because he first became the lamb who took up his cross and what he bids you and i to do today is to trust him to the point where we're willing to say, today, my life, it looks lambish, I'm sheepish, I'm falling apart, I'm broken, I'm undone, I've thrown you, Jesus, off the job a few times, or maybe I've never asked you into my life at all. But today, Lord, I hear your call, that you're asking me to take up my cross, to put my full trust in you for the work that you can do in my life. And if you're here tonight, and for whatever reason whether you, you've never even heard the name of Jesus before, before this night right now, or whether you've been walking with him for years, but you took the keys back a long time ago. For some reason, something happened, and you just said, I don't trust you anymore. You're not trustworthy. I don't get it. But if where you are right now is at a place where you can hear the testimony of those that have run, maybe if you listen, maybe you can hear your own voice calling out to you from a future place saying, He is worthy. Trust Him. What I want to ask you to do is this. In the privacy of your heart, if you're in a place where He does not have complete access to every part, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud with your voice. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in who you are I believe that you love me I believe that you made me I believe that you died so that you could buy me and that you live to build me and I believe in you and tonight I put my trust in you I ask you to forgive my sins to forgive my mistrust to forgive my wanderings To forgive my rebellion. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to save me. I want you to build my life. I give you full access, total clearance. Do whatever you want, whatever you need. I put my trust in you. Give me your presence, give me your spirit, give me your leading. Let me hear your voice and let me live for you from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you prayed that with me tonight from your heart, not just because I told you to, but because you mean it from your heart, would you on the count of three, shoot your hand up in the air and let the world know one, two, three, praise his name, Jesus. if you prayed that tonight for the first time and you never knew Jesus and tonight's the night that you gave your life to him I want to meet you there's pastors here we, we have bibles to give you things to just help you to lead you along the way and I pray you come back and that you hear how God works in our lives the things that he uses in his faithful powerful ways in Jesus name let's stand together shall we